0: We so you all know what a fish story is, right? A fish story is where someone sort of exaggerates the facts about their latest catch. It might be how they tell you about the 50-pound northern that they landed when it was really more like a five-pound trout. And even that, they got out of the tank down at Woolies, Right? fish stories. They're all over the place. I've got a fish story for you, um, only it is completely true. I want you to know that, first of all. and It's got nothing to do with the size of a fish. It does have to do with our daughter, Melissa, when she was about three years old. We were on a vacation trip. We were in this cabin, and and uh, again, she was about three. And we found out when we got there that it actually had this somewhat renowned fishing spot that was close by a lake that was stocked supposedly with 10,000 rainbow trout. And it was not a very big lake. And so we figured this is something that we've got to go and and try and fish. And so we decided we were going to do that the next day. And it it was Carolyn, myself, and Melissa, and also Carolyn's sister and her husband, and their two boys who at the time were under five. We figured this fishing trip would be a good learning experience. And it was that. I learned don't ever take three preschoolers fishing. That's what I learned on that particular trip. Of course, we didn't have any gear along with us because we weren't prepared for it, and so I had to go out and get some, which I did. I got rod, reel, tackle, and bait, all for $9.95. There was like, uh, nothing is too good for my daughter. No way. And, And so the next day we got up, and of course it's raining. And it's cold, and we're like, let's do something else today. But the kids were not going to be dissuaded. We made the mistake of telling them we were going fishing, and they were super excited. So we did. We we went and tried to make the most of it. I spent most of my time untangling lines and helping them cast and dodging fish hooks that were flying through the air, and also dodging raindrops that were coming down. And I was looking around at one point. I looked up, and I realized that I didn't have all the adult support that I had at the start of the trip. In fact, Carolyn was nowhere to be found, and neither was her sister or the husband. And so I started investigating a little bit. They were off in the car reading the paper and sipping hot chocolate while I'm out there with the three preschoolers. Yeah, you should be feeling bad for me at this point. Absolutely. And uh, so I said to the kids, I said, hey, do you guys want some hot chocolate? No, we want to catch a fish. How about a donut? A donut. How about waffles? How about a cookie? Anything at all to to stop fishing. But no, they were not going to be dissuaded. They were going to catch their fish, which they did. They caught one fish in this lake that was stocked with 10,000 rainbow trout. They caught one carp. That's my (laughs) fishing story. That's what happened, and that's absolutely the honest truth of what happened. Today we're going to be taking a look at another fish story only this one has to do with Jesus. This one has to do with his followers. It's actually the last of the stories that we are going to look at about Jesus' miracles in our miracles sermon series. And you can find this particular passage in John 21. I figure that any story that's a miracle and a fish story brought together has got to be good. You're going to enjoy this. I think you will. I think you're also going to benefit from it. John chapter 21 is where we'll be. There's a Bible provided for you. If you didn't happen to bring yours today in whatever venue you're in, these page numbers might be helpful and welcome in those other venues, maybe in the response venue today or on the Moon Campus or listening online, wherever you are. If you open to this passage, we're just going to make our way on through it. You're going to see some very important things as we do. I'll tell you right as we get started that one of the things that I love so much about this passage is that it talks about hope. It offers hope. We're going to find some people who were experiencing some things where they were quite discouraged and they were they were filled with some doubt and they had some pain and there was some failure that they had been through in their life and, and some of them are quite down and discouraged and we're going to find that through the circumstance that unfolds in this particular passage and through this particular miracle that this hope Comes. And I think that this is very helpful for us today because I know that there are some people who are listening now in whatever venue you're listening in on who are are experiencing that same sort of thing. That you've been through some failure of your own and it's sort of stolen some of your hope as you think about the future away from you. Maybe it's that you've made a decision and that decision has led to some consequences that have stolen your hope or have led you to discouragement and some doubt and some. Pain. Maybe you made a decision, and as a result of that, you lost your job, and you're out of your career, and you're kind of wondering where it is you're going to go from here. Maybe you've made a decision that has caused you to lose an important relationship in your life, and and today you sit here and you say, I never thought in my life I'd ever be where I am right now. I never thought circumstances were going to unfold that I would actually find myself in this place. Maybe the dreams that you have had for yourself, for your future, it looks more and more like that's all they're going to be, or just, just dreams. And so you're losing some of your hope. Well, don't give up too quickly here today, because I believe that this passage will speak into your circumstance. Whether you find yourself in that moment of despair and discouragement now, or whether that might come upon you for the future, that this is something that we can take and find hope In. So we're going to be taking a look at an amazing fish story. And it has some amazing truths in that. And the first of those truths is this that Jesus desires to make himself known. Jesus desires to make himself known. John chapter 21 is where this gets started. In verse 1, it says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. Your Bible might say the Sea of Tiberias, it's one and the same, it's talking about the same lake. Now, we need to look here for just a second to put this all in its context. Unlike the other miracles, all the other miracles we have looked at in this sermon series, this is the only one that takes place after the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus has risen from the dead and he's been going around showing himself to a variety of different people to prove that he is alive and to bring them hope and to bring them encouragement. In fact, if you have your Bible open, it's an NIV, you can just flip back to chapter 20 and you will see, just reading the chapter headings, you can see what this is about. It says that Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene, Jesus appears, appears to the disciples, Jesus appears to... Thomas. And here, this is about the miraculous catch of fish, it says. But really, it could also be titled very perfectly and appropriately, Jesus appears to seven of his followers. Because that's what happened. John tells us in the end of verse 1, it happened this way. So he says, yes, Jesus appeared to them. Now let me tell you the story. Verse 2. It Simon Peter, Thomas, all known, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I wonder, do you think if you were those two other disciples, you'd be offended? I mean, everybody else gets identified for who they are. That'd be like walking up to somebody, hey, I'd like you to meet my five kids. This is Jimmy and Johnny and Jane and the two others. Right? I mean, that would be pretty awful, wouldn't it? Well, I don't know how these guys feel. We're never really told that. But uh, at least there are seven, and they're identified as disciples. Verse 3 goes on, "'I'm going out to fish,' Simon Peter told them. And they said, "'We'll go with you.'" So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus.'" Now, why exactly they didn't realize it was Jesus is unknown to us. It could be just the fact that it was early in the morning and it's not light enough yet for them to tell that it's Jesus. It could be the fact that they're quite some distance away from him at this point and they can't really make out who it is, especially if it's darker. We'll find later in the text that they're about 100 yards away from Jesus as they're out there in the lake. It could be that his identity is intentionally being withheld from them so that it might serve as a little bit of a test of their reaction and and how it is that they interact with the circumstances that are coming next and it's possible that they'd react differently if they knew it was Jesus as over against if they don't know that it is him. But whatever the reason that his identity is veiled, that is going to be stripped away because Jesus' whole purpose here is that he would identify himself, that he would reveal himself to Them And that's what he's in the process of doing. In fact, we're told toward the end of this passage that this is actually the third time that Jesus has appeared to his disciples since he rose from the dead. Jesus' desire then and now is to reveal himself. That's why Jesus came to the earth in the first place. So it wouldn't just be God off in the distance somewhere, but so that he would come and he would take on flesh and that he would live amongst us so that we might be able to have the opportunity to engage and to interact with him. That's exactly what John says at the very beginning of this gospel. It says, The word, that's Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. He wanted to show himself to us. Paul agrees, and he adds this For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. He came to show himself. The Bible that we have is also a revelation of God to mankind so that we would know him. That's what he wants. The rub comes when we feel like we're trying to find God and don't find him there. When the difficulty comes upon us in life, and all of a sudden it's like, God, where are you? God, I need you, and and we can't find him. Have you ever been there? I've been there. God doesn't show up in the way that I think that he would or the way that I think that he should. Is it that he actually isn't there? Is it that he actually is intentionally being distant and far away from us? It's an important question. But here's what I do know. Is it apart from God's interest in me that I would have no interest in him? If it weren't for him taking the first step, I would never have taken the first step. Neither would you, because our hearts are opposed to God. Our hearts naturally are set apart from God. Left to myself, I'm not going to pay any attention to God because I'm too busy paying attention to myself and my own circumstance and my own desire and my own need. So even the fact that I'm, that I'm pondering, where is God, tells me that He's close. And then we're given this instruction, we're given this promise also in the Scriptures. James says, come near to God and He will come near to you. That's an invitation to approach with an open mind so that we might find Him as we approach Him. Knowing that He already has taken the first step toward us. Because if we don't have an open mind, we're not going to have an open heart. And if we don't have an open heart, then all the evidence in the world isn't going to change a thing. It's not going to influence us. It's not going to impact us because our mind is set apart from the understanding that God is present, that God is near. So it's important that we recognize he took the first step. And now James says, come near to him. Respond to his foray toward you. And you will again find him come, coming near to you you. It's a promise. So Jesus is standing on the shore, and the disciples haven't quite figured out that it's Him yet, but the way these circumstances are going to unfold are not only going to ultimately reveal Him, but they're going to do so in such a way that they're going to learn something more about Jesus in the process, and they're going to learn something more about them. And sometimes that's just the way that God works it out. He doesn't always necessarily just pour it out all for us to understand in the second, in the moment, according to our timetable. Sometimes it is the fact that we need to keep running back to God, that we need to keep letting Him know of our interest and continue to call out to Him that reveals the fact that we're serious about this. Have you ever ever had some prayer need on your mind or on your heart and and you kind of prayed about it and then you forgot about it? He never really prayed again. Well, how, how interested really were you? How important really was that to you? Sometimes we learn about ourselves through the way that God maybe shows up according to our timetable or maybe that He doesn't. But even if the timing isn't exactly ours, that does not change for a moment the fact that He does choose and does desire to reveal Himself to us. It does not change for a moment the fact that He is present, that He is near. Whether you perceive Him as such in the moment, Or whether that's an understanding that you come to soon enough. Verse five, he called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered, but let me tell you about the one that got away. (laughs) No, no, this is not a fish story like that. They just admit that they haven't caught anything, and it sets them up for the next amazing truth, which is this that obedience will accomplish the unexpected. Obedience will accomplish the unexpected. Take a look at verse 6. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. How many of you have ever seen the show Deadliest Catch? All right, lots of you have seen that show. All right, I haven't seen it a lot, but there are a couple of things that always jump out to me whenever I see that show. One of those is the interaction between the different people on the crew, given the hierarchy that is present among the crew on that boat. So you've got the captain, and everybody's got a bow to the captain, all the way on down to the bottom of the totem pole, which are the greenhorn, and they just get sort of treated horribly. They kind of get hazed all season long. And so that's, that's one of the things that's fascinating to me. The other is the anticipation of just what is going to be in that crab pot when it comes up over the rail, right? Have you ever been there? All right, there's one other, there's one other thing I love about the show too, and that is that I can watch it from the comforts of my couch instead of the icy waters of the Bering Sea. I love seeing them suffer and not myself. But imagine that there were a circumstance, it was right at the end of their fishing season, and one of the boats has gotten nothing. They have been totally skunked. There's been nothing in any of their pots as they pull them up. And then right at the end, they pull up one, and it, it is jam-packed. It is just totally filled with crab in that crab pot. In fact, somehow, that pot has gotten hooked on to another pot that is filled to overflowing, which is hooked to another pot, and another one, and another one. And by the time they pull all of those up off that one pull onto the deck and get all of the crab into the store area, they have their entire catch for the whole season just in that one pull. You say... That would never happen. Exactly. And that's exactly the same scenario in the boat that they are in on the Sea of Galilee. There was no way that this could happen. And guess what? It wouldn't have happened if they wouldn't have been willing to do something that didn't make a lot of sense to them. Look, we have been out fishing all night and we've caught nothing. And now you're telling us if we just cast it 10 feet away from where we just had it, then we're going to have a catch of Fish, is that really what you're saying? But they do obey the instruction that they're given, and you know the rest. You know what happened because they chose to be obedient. I believe our lives have so much more to offer if we could just learn this lesson. See, the problem is that we find ourselves, we believe ourselves, or that we just are too smart. (laughs) That's the problem. Because we look at a circumstance and we know if I go into this circumstance that here's what the outcome is going to be. We've got that figured out right? So if I, if I just, um, let's just come up with some examples, all right? So let's say that I eat well and that I exercise every day. I'm going to end up fit probably as a result of doing those things. If you lie to the boss, you're going to get fired. It, but if you if you exchange, let's say, and eat for dinner ice cream instead of kale and broccoli, the outcome is going to be that you're going to enjoy life a whole lot more, right? Yeah. Okay, so you can figure out what the outcome is going to be, but but here's the truth of the matter, that God works in the realm of the unexpected outcomes. That's how God works. So Joseph is sold into slavery and he ends up second in command. You've got A guy like Moses who has difficulty speaking, and he ends up being Israel's mouthpiece. You've got David who volunteers for a suicide mission and ends up hero over Goliath. You've got Peter. You've got Paul. Let's take Paul. You've got him who is a persecutor of the church and of Christ, and he ends up being the greatest missionary ever. You can figure out the expected outcomes for an action that you take, but who knows where God might want to take you through the unexpected? But you're never going to get there until you are willing to go through the path of obedience. Because here's the thing. You can say, well, if I go ahead and read my Bible, like I know I'm supposed to do. I don't really always do that because I know that the outcome, if I read my Bible, is I'm going to learn a little bit more about the Scriptures. I'm going to learn more about God. I'm going to get more information about What's in there, but what you don't know, the outcome that you cannot possibly see as you enter into it, is how God might do the unexpected, how God might meet you in your faithfulness and digging into the Word of God and speak to you in a way that you weren't anticipating as it started. You're not going to get there if you say, well, I already know what the outcome is going to be, so there's really no reason, there's no urgency urgency for me to get into the Word of God because I know what it's going to lead to, but no, you don't. That's the realm of the unexpected that God works in, and until you take the step toward that direction, you're never going to be able to find out how it is that He would work through the unexpected. If you engage in service, in in the work of the church... I might say, well, I know what the outcome is that's going to be. I'm going I'm to help out a bit. Some people will be helped. The, the people who are looking for volunteers are going to be happy that they got somebody else. That's, that's, I can see what that. But what you don't see, what you cannot possibly understand in that moment and entering in is, is how God might take that obedience on your part, that faithfulness to enter into service, and how he might reveal to you something about calling, something about future, something about a connection that you make as you enter into that. And if you listen to the stories of people who, end up in unexpected places, they will tell you that there was a twist, there was a turn, that there was no way that they could have seen going into it. But because they did, they came to some what seems like chance encounter, which isn't a chance encounter at all. It is God aligning people, but we need to be active and involved and engaged in taking the step so that God can work the unexpected even in what looks like it just might be an expected outcome. When you choose to give faithfully and sacrificially to the work of the ministry, you can expect that the outcome is going to be that that's going to help to get ministry done, and that's going to assist some people, and that's great. You can see that outcome coming, but what you can't see is how God might take that faithfulness and that sacrifice on your part and turn it into something and return it toward you and on you in a way that is completely unexpected. And you'll never find that until you take that step of obedience in the first place. Imagine if Peter had said, look, we've been fishing all night and we're professional fishermen and we know what we're doing. And and so just casting it off on the other side, that's just going to be a waste of time. So no thanks. He would have missed out on the miracle if he had done that. And I'm afraid that many of us are missing out on the miracle that God has in store for us because we have assumed that we know what the outcome is going to be, so we're not going to take the step in the first place because we can see where that goes, we're completely missing the fact that God takes those things and turns them into something else, into the unexpected. Remember, that's the God we serve, is the God of the unexpected, the God of the beyond imagination. That's who He is. So take the plunge of obedience and see what God does. One more amazing truth in this fish story, and it's that failure embraced leads to success. I love this part of the story. Here's what happens. Verse 7. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, that's John, says to Peter, it is the Lord. He knows there's only one person who can make this fishing trip turn out just like it's turning out. This has got to be the Lord. In fact, later on, it actually says that they caught 153 fish. Not 152, not 154. They caught 153 fish. And because of the the specific nature of that number, there are a lot of people who suggest that there's got to be something mysterious about the number 153, something about that being the specific number of fish that they caught. And so people have come up with all sorts of things. People have come up with the fact that if you add all the numbers between 1 and 17 together, you get 153. I'm not sure what spiritual significance that has, but it's true. Don't do it now. You can do that later. You can test that out. Others have said, well, if you look in the Old Testament every time and add up the number of times that the verb to pray is used, it's 153. Well, there you go. Of course, there are a lot of other things that are 153, too. It seems to me like I've mowed my lawn 153 times this spring already. It just keeps growing. I can't get ahead of it. 153 is the number of hours yesterday that they covered the wedding of Harry and Meghan. It's ridiculous. On one channel, 153 hours in one day, I think. That's what it seemed like. I don't think that 153 fish has a hidden meaning. I think it is just a way to say that this is something of miraculous proportions. This is something beyond expectation. It's overabundance. As we were saying, what is Jesus? He's he's a God of the unexpected. He's a God who works miracles. Verse 7 continues, as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the, the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Kind of reminds you of another miracle, doesn't it? The fish and the bread, the feeding of the 5,000. But the reaction of Peter here is very telling. I love that He cannot possibly get to Jesus fast enough. He's got to jump out of the boat. He's got to swim himself because it would take too long to wait for the boat to make its own way to the shore. And this is awesome. But I want you to also notice, and I think this has significance, I want you to notice what is between Jesus and Peter as he gets there. It is a fire of burning coals. And I think that they both, in that moment, recognized that it wasn't very long ago that there was another fire of burning coals that was right there between them that they stood by. And it was the night that Jesus was betrayed. Peter had said, Lord, whatever happens, I will never deny you. But yet on that night, three times... Peter did just that, and Luke records for us that it was at a fire of burning coals that Peter is standing there, and he is asked for the third time about Jesus, and he says, I don't know who this guy is. Luke says, at that moment, Jesus looked at Peter, and Peter went out and wept bitterly. He knew that he had failed completely. And I don't think there's any doubt, but that as Peter is standing there now on the shore with Jesus right there in front of a fire of burning coals, that both of their minds did not go there. I'm sure that it did. Peter has in his mind this failure. It was only probably a couple of weeks earlier that that has happened, and they haven't had a lot of alone time since that moment. There's something else here also. On the previous occasion when Jesus provided a miraculous catch of fish, this is actually the second one. The first one was when several of the disciples were called into ministry. Jesus did that very same miracle, essentially, for them that uh, convinced them to come and to follow after Jesus. Well, on that occasion, in that miraculous catch of fish, Peter has a very powerful reaction, and Luke actually tells us about it. Peter said, "'Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man.'" Get away from me. I know that I don't have any reason to be anywhere near you, but here it's a different reaction. Here Peter runs to Jesus. Same situation. Is it because Peter doesn't think that he has sin anymore? No. He's just as sinful as he ever was. He knows that as powerfully as he ever knew it, but something has changed. And what has changed is that over those many months that he has now been with Jesus and watched Jesus interacting with other people, And watching him interact with himself, with him, Peter, he's come to learn something else. And that something else is grace. He's learned about Jesus' grace. He's learned that failure isn't the end. The fact of the matter is, for sinful people, failure is inevitable. And guess what? You and I are sinful people. Which means for us also, failure is inevitable. It's going to happen. It has happened. You know that it has happened. For Peter, it was his insistence that he wasn't going to fail that actually set him up for the failure. He said, I'll never deny you. In his own self-assurance and relying on his own power and his own strength to get that done, that's the very thing that leads him to the place where he doesn't get it done. As he stands now before Jesus, though, there's no pretense between them. None at all. Peter knows his capabilities, and he knows his limitations. And it's by leaning into those limitations, acknowledging them, and knowing that he needs something beyond himself that actually sets him up for the place that he can do great things for God. Look at this passage. I love it. It speaks right to what we're talking about. Paul says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Jars of clay are breakable it's talking about who we are that we are jars of clay basically breakable very ordinary very commonplace we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us and not from us I know it sounds counterintuitive but the path to success runs directly through admitting our failure I know that the world around you tells you hey you're a winner you're number one Yes, of course, you should get the trophy just for showing up. doesn't matter how you perform while you're here. We know that, but all of that sets us up for a false reality. I get why we do it, but it sets us up for a false reality. I've had failures. And you have too. I've had failures when it comes to my devotion to God. I've had failures when it comes to my service for other people. I've had failures when it comes to all sorts of different realms and maybe in relationships or whatever in my life. And you probably have had some of those yourself. But acknowledging those failures doesn't make you bad. It makes you real. it doesn't disqualify you. It acknowledges that you simply don't have everything in and of yourself that you need to fully succeed when it comes to following after the Lord. The best news in all of it is that whatever your failures have been, they don't need to sideline you. You can still be in the game. You still have much to offer. You might say, well, Pastor Jeff, you don't know what I've done And that might be true, but I do know that David was a murderer and that Rahab was a prostitute and that Paul was a persecutor and God used every one of them. Peter himself denied Jesus, but what we find right here is that he is approaching Jesus. He wants to get as close to him as he possibly can. And when he does, Jesus warmly welcomes him and essentially uses this as a springboard to call him into even deeper and greater service in amazing ways that you can read about through the book of Acts and through the rest of the New Testament of what Peter does. Peter, the man who denied. Peter, the man who failed. But it's through acknowledging that it sets him up for success. Good news is that God can use you the same way, but not while you're self-sufficient and proud and unteachable. That's not the key. The path to real success runs through embracing your failure and allowing it to cause you to jump out of the boat and swim to Jesus as fast as you can possibly get there. Despite Peter's failure, Jesus still makes it very clear that he loves him and can use him. And despite your failure, this passage makes it very clear that God still loves you and he can still use you. Wherever you've been, Whatever you've done, whatever the failure, it cannot separate you from the love of God that is ours through Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus came. It's why He died, so that, yes, we might see Him, so that we might know Him, but also so that He could take the penalty and the sting of that sin out of the way. But if we just walk into it and say, yeah, he took it out of the way, so I'm scot-free, so I'm pure, so I'm clean, so I'm self-sufficient, so I have the power that I need in myself, so I'm unteached. If that's where we go, then, then there's reason to not feel hopeful. But as we lean into that failure, as we acknowledge it, it sets us up to be in the place where God can use us in powerful ways. As we lean into obedience not just being willing to cut it short because we say, I can see where the outcome is, but rather acknowledging that God is a God who does the unexpected. And to just respond in faithfulness, just to respond in obedience. I can tell you that you're going to come to experience some things that you never would have expected. God will be able to use you in ways that you never would have anticipated. And it just comes through simple obedience. Don't be your head against the wall or against the ground trying to figure out, God, where is it that you're trying to call me because I can't see how I get to that, that ultimate super service through any path that is in front of me because you can't see it, because the path isn't observable. Just take the step of obedience and God will meet you there and take you to exactly the place that he desires you to be, regardless of where you've been, regardless of what that failure has been. Confess it to God, walk that path, and you'll find the place he desires you to be. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have a purpose and a plan for every one of us. Lord, we confess today that there have been too many times when we have suggested that we have the answers that we don't have. Or that we have been unwilling to go down a path because, yeah, I see where that goes and that's not the ultimate end I want to experience, so I'm not going there. So I'm still stuck at dead center. And I could go over here, but no, I don't want to go over there because I can see where that takes me also. And that's not ultimately where I want to be. Lord, help us to just be people of faith and obedience who are willing to take the simple step to serve and to give and to follow. And as we do so, just rest in You to turn us on the corners You need us to go, down the paths You need us to take, and lead us to the place You would have us to be. Lord, we want to be those people. We want to make those significant kingdom impacts in the lives of people and and for the sake of the church. And Lord, we can see that You have a way to take us there even if we don't see what that way is. So Lord, make us obedient. Thank you for your revealing yourself to us. Thank you that regardless of what the past has been, what those failures have been, you can take them and use them for something beautiful. And we pray that you will, in Jesus' name, amen.